Thank you for tuning into Air and Earth, the podcast that lifts you up and keeps you grounded. I'm your host, Melissa Moffat, and I'm here to share some information that I've found helpful in my own life, as well as interview people on topics ranging from self-love of body, soul, and mind, social, environmental, and animal justice, mindfulness, business, relationships, ethics, and so much more with the intention of supporting you on your healing and growth journey as you strive to love yourself, those around you, and the planet just a little more. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Air and Earth Podcast. I'm super excited because this week I got to interview Corey Allen, who is the author of the new book, Now is the Way, which actually is released today. And he's also the host of the podcast, The Astral Hustle. So in this episode, we are going to talk about Corey's story of how growing up with anxiety and frustration led him to search for more. And that brought him to the practice of mindfulness and meditation. And through this practice, he was able to go from being very logically oriented, very intellectual, which are all great things, but he stepped into things like gratitude and joy and leading a path based on heart and being alive. We also talk about how to actually practice meditation. He gives a beautiful explanation of the practice and we talk about what his practice of 20 plus years has done for him and how it can start to impact your life as well. If you love this episode or any of the other episodes of Air and Earth Podcast, please do me a huge favor and share it up. Tell your friends, maybe text this episode to a friend who needs to hear it. I also love seeing the shares of the show on Instagram. I love reposting those on my Instagram stories. It honestly means the world to me in getting out the word about this show. I honestly cannot say thank you enough to everyone who is listening and your support and you're listening week after week or if this is a new episode for you. It it means so much to me. It really, really does. I want to remind you all of three things. If you are listening in real time, I have some events coming up. So Two days from when this podcast is released on September 26th, I am hosting the Worthy Workshop online. This workshop is all of the tools and practices I use in my own life and that I teach to my students to go from a place where they may be struggling with things like anxiety or wondering how to form a deeper connection to themselves, how to be more present in their life, how to let themselves go after the things that are really calling to their hearts, how to have more resiliency, and just how to let more joy into their lives. So these practices are tools that you can use day after day after day. We're going over the concepts of worthiness. So that's things like enoughness, things like gratitude, things like understanding why you want what you do, getting real about what it is you actually want to do with your one precious life. And then beyond that, we're going into worthiness as it relates to your relationships, your career, and your finances. So this is going to be a jam-packed session of diving in deep and really making some big shifts start to change for you. I also still have two spots left in my retreat that's coming up in Iceland with my friend Michaela Millington and Zinter Retreats. The retreat is from October 9th through the 15th. If you are someone who loves to travel, loves nature, loves adventure, but also loves mindfulness, yoga, meditation, and all of these practices that I talk about, journaling, tapping, all of these sorts of things, then this retreat is for you. You can find more information in the show notes down below. Please reach out to me if you are interested in going and we will get you signed up. Last but not least, I want to remind you all that if you are interested in starting a meditation practice or if you're interested in deepening your own practice that you currently have, you want to mix it up a little bit, I have some guides that can help you. I have a guided meditation album as well as a meditation guide. Those two things come together. So it's 12 different guided meditations and then a PDF document that will walk you through different forms of meditation, how to establish a practice in your own life, what the benefits of meditation are, 
And I also have a package that expands onto that album and guide called the Growth Guide that takes the concepts from the meditations and gives you journaling prompts, reading exercises, and other relevant exercises to dive even deeper into your mindfulness journey. So you can check out those guides by following the link down below, taking you to my shop. If you are a listener, you get a discount code. That discount code is podcast20 for either of those guides. So I hope they will be super helpful for you. And if those are calling your name, check them out. Those are all the announcements for today. So let's dive into the interview with Corey Allen. Hey, Corey, welcome to Aaron Earth Podcast. I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to talk about your book, which actually comes out today, the day that this is being released. And um, just to hear all about your story and your perspective on life and all of those big, broad topics. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk to you, and I really appreciate you inviting me on the show, and I'm ready to to dive into it with you. Yeah, cool. We'll just get right in. I am. So I know you, you know, you have your own podcast. That's all about mindfulness. You talk to some incredible people. And like I said, you're coming out with this book. So clearly, you're interested in mindfulness. Um, And I was wondering if you would kind of start your story from the beginning, how that happened. um, And where, yeah, where, where all of this started for you? Yeah, like basically, um, just based upon my background and my history, you know, I growing up in a situation that where uh, I had a lot of anxiety because of my environment, and uh, ultimately, you know, being loved conditionally and parented through fear and emotional manipulation and things of that nature, and just having a general. destructive uh, family attachment um, led me to being a very um, anxious and resentful young kid on the exterior, um, all the while on the inside, um, being very peaceful and desiring uh, to be able to live in a a trustworthy, compassionate type of way. And... um, as I got older, I rather randomly, uh, in my in my kind of middle teenage years, I overheard someone talking about uh, just completely randomly. They were saying, "You know, if you could have dinner with two people or four people, who who would it be?" And they said uh, Nietzsche and Jesus. And I remember hearing that name Nietzsche and it just sticking in my head because it was an interesting name. You know, it's just a cool sounding name and. Uh, I did always feel rather incompatible with my environment in a lot of ways, um, which, you know, many people do when they're, they're younger, but, um, I never really felt any resonance with, uh, in, in the way that I thought with hardly anyone. And, uh, so I was going through a bookstore randomly one day and saw a book with Nishi's name on the back of it and went over and picked it up. And as I began reading it, I had this complete aha moment of seeing the math of how I thought for the first time. It was just like sticks of dynamite exploding and thought, oh, wow, this is something I relate to. This is how I think. This is um, what makes sense to me and feels natural. And I became really obsessed with Western philosophy. Um, I then quickly became, I went into reading, uh, reading in music, but particularly reading uh almost in a kind of an OCD type of way, which I realized later was somewhat of a response to blocking out um, a lot of the things around me and also a way to not acknowledge my low emotional IQ that I had at the time and my ability to process some of my traumas and suffering and so forth. Um, So essentially I put the blinders on, went way deep into figuring that out, but it was also just naturally uh just relentlessly fascinating to me so i got really uh obsessed with with western philosophy and then due to some western philosophers kind of sending bridges out to eastern thought and so forth i 
went over and started reading uh, Eastern philosophy. And then once I began to read that, I thought, oh, this is not only how I think, but this is also what I think. This contains a lot of the the moral frameworks for how I believe that one can live in the world uh, with a, you know, an, open mar- an open heart and an open mind and still retain the intellectual curiosity and, and rigor of Western thought. And so uh, I began thinking of my inner life at this time like it was mine. I had this sort of like Viktor Frankl moment of thinking no matter what's happening outside of my body, outside of my skin in the outside world, no matter how anxious or on guard or armored I feel like I need to be inside my body, in my mind, the whole inner life is mine and I can do and think and feel however I want in there. And it's really up to me figuring out how to live in that space. And I don't mean living in my head in the sense of not acknowledging reality, but having this sanctuary of of a place to, to exist. And that was mine, you know? And so I started um, undoing and unpacking and I started meditating and this is in the nineties, you know? And so I was just reading out of books like uh, in my bedroom and I wasn't, didn't, you know, no one in my whole family system was interested or even aware of, philosophy or reading or anything. Uh, so I was just doing this uh, on my own. And I began to feel this uh, incredible shift in how I could understand myself, how I could understand the world and the circumstances that I was in. And the more that I practiced meditation, the more I was able to begin to release some of my anxiety to feel uh, an ability to respond to the circumstances I was in to begin to author my decision-making and my future with more intention and also just having some cultivating that negative space in between the world and my reaction to the world and not just living in this long momentum of chain reactions of uh, based upon my programming and my experiences, but really being able to think about how I was showing up in the world and who I was being and, that began a long process of undoing and clearing away and letting go of things and just aiming the intention inside towards uh, something positive, towards uh, something trustworthy in the world that I could build out there. Uh, And so that is how that began. Uh, And it's all truly, it's, it's been over 20 years since that point. Um, but I'm still really walking that path today. Mm, that's incredible. 20 years of meditation is, I mean, that's a good bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm 26. I'm going on 27. So that's like, you know, a good chunk of my life, which is, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm interested to know how your relationship to that practice has evolved as you've been dedicated to it for that long. And, you know, within the people who listen to this podcast, there's a lot of people who are just coming into to starting meditation, getting interested in, Oh, like I have this connection to myself. How do I foster this? Um, and I'm wondering what you would say to someone who is maybe new to the practice and, you know, how do you how do you even begin and how does that how does that evolve how does that impact you over time yeah well what you were just talking about really is one of the main barriers to people getting into meditation is it seems overwhelming you know it seems like where do you begin how do i start this and that is you know it shouldn't be an obstacle or it shouldn't be a chore because that's something that we then can find ways to not uh do or address or put off or whatever And so I think that the most important thing uh, initially is just to lower the stakes. Like, don't make it this big, serious thing or this big thing. Like, now I'm this person. I'm like going to start meditating. Just do, you know, start playing with it and see how you feel and kind of put yourself in the laboratory a little bit. Um, So, you know, meditation is as deep and, and long and detailed and, and, um, adventurous and interesting and introspective as you could possibly ever imagine because it, you know, it is your mind. And so it goes as deep as you can conceptualize, but it's beginning. It can and should be very simple. Uh, and so I would say someone who's just wanting to start meditation is that really make it easy, make it, you know, you do it every night when you sleep, 
Um, the difference is just doing it while you're awake, right? Mm -hmm. So put down your phone, you put that away, turn off the, you know, Netflix, whatever it is, just have some quiet in your space, close your eyes and just rest your body and you allow your hands to lay on your legs or whatever and just close your eyes and just take a breath in. And as you breathe in, kind of imagine that you're breathing in life, you know, whatever that means to you. And then whenever you exhale, allow the muscles in your body and the muscles in your face to relax and soften a little bit. Then just breathe in again and definitely not doing any theatrical or exaggerated type of breathing, just a natural sort of good, you know, healthy, calm, deep breath. And then when you exhale, then again, relax and soften the muscles in your body and your face a little bit more and just continue breathing in feeling your chest rise and just allowing your chest to fall you know there's this funny secret is we you know we don't have to actually exhale uh, our body is designed to do that naturally so you can just allow your chest to fall and all of the air will move out and allow the muscles in your face and your body to soften a little bit more and just continue breathing like that for about five minutes and see how you feel. See if you feel a little bit more present, a little bit more aware, perhaps a little bit more calm. And the more you do that, even for five minutes a day, the more that the compounding effects of meditation will continue to build and build and build upon itself. So uh, just addressing a few of the immediate issues that people run into. <clears throat> First, people often say that they feel really fidgety, that they can't sit still. Uh, that they always want to be like moving their hands or something. And that's simply a symptom of our modern world. You know, there's, we're always messing with a phone, messing with a mouse, a keyboard, something like that, some type of remote, you know, whatever it is, we're always fooling with something with our hands. And our mind mirrors that and our, and our, you know, and vice versa, the mind mirrors the body, the body mirrors the mind. And so, uh, also because we are overwhelmed with the amount of just the immense amount of data coming through our phones, coming through, you know, laptops and, and again, like television and just the general complexity of our society at this point, we're always like dealing with ads or notifications or some type of distraction. Uh, and there's far too much of it. And so it's causing this fragmentation of our of our minds we're being pulled in too many directions at once and so that's connected to the fact that we feel fidgety all the time so at first you know you will probably feel many people feel a little fidgety and feel like they want to move or something like that but just as much as you can try and recognize the impulse to want to move acknowledge it and then just let it go and move past it and continue focusing on your breath and if you find yourself fidgeting a little bit, you know, that's totally fine. Just go back to trying to exhale and relax those muscles that want to move and mess with something. Continue breathing in. And then the second thing that people often find as uh, an issue when they first try and meditate is they say, oh, well, I did that. I sat there, I closed my eyes, I started taking in breaths, but my thoughts were just crazy. It was like a complete chaos in there, this cyclone of of fragments of thoughts going on and that normally once again because we you know we live in a society that's based upon marketing and and advertising and we're told that we're not enough you know so that we'll keep buying things it's one of the symptoms of uh the modern world that we're living in so we feel like something's wrong with us immediately that's most of our instincts with things uh in life uh, a lot of times the inner critic fires up and so whenever one sees that their thoughts are rather rambunctious. They think, oh, I'm not doing it right. I guess I'm just not a person that can meditate. Like, I've heard that so many times, it's unbelievable. But what has actually happened is that an individual that experiences that has achieved the hardest thing that you will ever achieve in the path of mindfulness, and that is recognizing your thoughts. It's like you, you, did, you achieved this great goal by you first, you had this moment of awareness where you first recognize, oh, wow, that's what's going on in my brain. And the, the, the reason that those are so busy and chaotic is because they've gone completely un, unschooled, unparented, unaddressed, uh, unguided, and uncurated, you know? And so uh, recognizing that that is a, a good, that's a win to see your thoughts being chaotic and frantic. 
and then re- realizing it's just a, a time of of dedication. So as you begin to see all of those thoughts, you have all these things coming. You just acknowledge them and let it go. Okay, there's this thing. Okay, now there's this thing. All right, there's that. Let it go. It's sort of like a bunch of little kids standing in line, and you you say, okay, there's you. Hello, hello. There's this person. Hello, good to see you. Good to see you, and so on. And they'll all continue to move on and flow on. And over the course of just trying to meditate, sitting, simply breathing a couple of times uh, in a row, that will begin to soften and dissipate a bit and become less pressurized. And that's because as we go through life, you know, life is always feeding into us. There's always new information, new emotions, new thoughts, and all these things we need to process we're also holding on the tension and stress and anxiety that we encounter during the day. And so if we don't do something, we don't take care of ourselves in some way to process all of that stuff that comes into us, it ends up just getting very pressurized, like a teapot or something like that. So we're holding all this steam. And that's whenever people have outbursts out of nowhere. It's like someone seems and, and even you know, uh, anyone listening to this one day could be feeling sort of a little more irritated or irritable than normal something small happens and then you blow up at it and it's like you you can even wonder like why did i lose my temper or why did i get so frustrated over something so small and that's because there's just a lot of stored up physical and emotional and mental uh energy that needs to be processed and released and energy you know i don't mean that even in a metaphysical way i just mean that in a a way of like you're taking on all of this stuff that's being repressed in your muscles and your nervous system. And so as you begin simply breathing and and allowing and relaxing and releasing, that stuff all starts to work itself out. It begins to, to move along, to get processed. And over time, what you find is that you fade up that experience of feeling a bit more fluid, a bit more calm, a bit more aware, less fidgety, more restful. All of those feelings start slowly just getting more and more strong. And that's as all of the, the stuff that you've been holding is being processed and released. And then you find that you've caught up to the current moment. You've caught up to your day's worth of things you need to release and allow and let go. And once you've done that, you uh, can do it very easily and quickly. And then from there on, you're just cultivating this nice abundance of internal space. And what the internal space allows you is to, as you move through your life, you have a restfulness, a peacefulness, a calm, a patience, and an awareness, a presence of mind that as things arise, as things come to you and interact with you invariably as they will in anyone's life, that are frustrating or challenging or that you would very prefer to talk about or interact with in a specific and well-intended way, you're able to do so because you've got all of this breathing room, all of this space and peace of mind and space of mind to be able to acknowledge what's happening in the moment and respond to it in a considered way as opposed to just reacting because you're so full and and pent up with all of that, that steam. I love that. Yeah, it's it's so true. Um, I've been meditating now for about six or seven years, and it is the, the most important thing that I do. And I know that you said in your book, too, you referred to it as your most important tool. And it's because it, it impacts us so deeply. And I was wondering, you said it has these compound effects. I love that word. It compounds, right? It starts out kind of just creating this shift. And then over time, it reaches into all areas of our life. And you, you were already going into this question before I even <laughs> got to say it, but I was wondering if you could talk about that some more. We start to have these, this internal shift and then it starts to kind of ripple out. And how, you know, now that you've had this practice for so long, how has this affected you? How have you seen it affect others in really concrete ways? Yeah, well, it's affected me um, just tremendously. You know, I mean, I'm, I feel like a completely different person. And I, I guess uh, more exactly, I would say, I feel like the person who I, I am the person now who I always knew I could be, who was underneath all of this stuff. And it was a simple clearing away of my experiences and past that allowed me to 
you know, birth into who I am now. Um, the stability, the reliance, the self-awareness, the patience, the clarity in which I can think about my life and my friends and be in relationships and all of that uh, with sincerity and feeling the the real gratitude of the fact that we have this chance to be alive right now and carrying that with me all the time at all not not a second does that leave me that we are experiencing truly a you know a bliss state of living and, and that can sound a bit um idealistic but what by bliss state i mean that we're experiencing just this raw beautiful magic of the fact that we're here at all we get to do this even in the moments that aren't most desirable moments those are it's like you know to have life to have energy to have power or whatever um, it's like a battery, like you need a positive and a negative end of a battery for there to be a charge. And in those, even the challenging moments of life, just realizing those are growing pains or something in the future. And it's all part of the process of getting to be alive. And, um, it's made me much more humble and able to take responsibility for my own actions, take responsibility for whenever I mess up and, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's just completely transformative, you know, um, to get to a more also from looking out of the windows of my eyes, my entire worldview has become much, much more, uh, optimistic and, and, and stable and clear. And, and I intuitively see things as good. I intuitively look at things as possibilities and with curiosity and wonder as opposed to with skepticism and uh with you know feeling defeated as if the world is cold and is trying to reject you know whatever i'm putting forward I, now i see it as a it's an open place of connection and potential uh and with it's overflowing with goodness you know and so why all of those things or what I have experienced to dip a bit into the scientific aspect of it is that, uh, you know, neuroscience research shows that our brains, they rewire themselves through repeated behaviors. And, um, there's a phenomenon called neuroplasticity, which in our brains, you know, it's of course a collection, our brain is a collection of neurons and, for all of our brain operation to take place and more specifically for us to have thoughts, uh, those neurons communicate to each other by sending electrical signals through these connective roads called synapses. And so as we think in particular ways, our brain sends, you know, these electrical signals, the neurons send them to each other to communicate and those become these patterns of thinking because our body and the evolution of our biology is designed to always be optimizing our behavior, optimizing our operation. Cause it takes a lot of energy to be a, an organism, to be a person, you know, and like you can power a, a small light bulb with just the electricity that your brain runs off of. And so it takes a lot of energy to be human. Uh, you need a lot of biofuel and rest and things like that to keep it going and water. Uh, and so it tries to make it where you're operating in the most streamlined and optimal uh, way possible so that you need as little energy as possible. And so when you look at that in the brain, what's happening is that your brain will rewire itself, those pathways uh, through which the neurons speak to each other and connect to each other will actually rewire so that it's easier for those habitual common ways of thinking and processing to take place. So that way it takes less energy. And so what happens is that as you continue to develop, uh, you know, your internal space, your mindfulness practice, your meditation practice, and you begin to focus more on things in your life, like patience and awareness and intention and compassion and what have you in your release your judgments and your negativity and you catch the impulses to be judgmental or negative or self-defeating. Um, and that's one of the things I say in the book is that you're not your thoughts, you're your thoughts that you turn into action. You know, mindfulness gives you a part of that part of that space is as thoughts or your negative thoughts arise, instead of being critical of that, that person that you know, or instead of saying something negative or, or judgmental of somebody 
or shooting down someone's idea or whatever it might be, or doing that to yourself, you can see that thing arising on the horizon of your mind, see that it's coming, and then just let it pass by and choose not to express it into the world. Catch that impulse and, and choose not to express it. And that really begins to author who you are because we are not what the, you know, the, the scramble of, of stuff that goes to our brains. We are what we put into the world and embody in this world. And so you're really building yourself into this more positive person and this more optimistic and open person by practicing. And uh, as you're, you begin these practices and start to form these habits, the brain then changes and rewires itself to think in a different way. And what that does whenever you go out into the world and into life is that you know, you're still using the same old brain that you're using during meditation. So as you look at the world, and you engage you in different situations, in relationships or in work or, or with your family or whatever it might be, with your friends, um, your default uh, method of way of seeing the world is wired through that of your positive, spacious, present and peaceful type of instinct. So it really colors the entire map of how you see life. Uh, it's an incredible shift that to me as, you know, from being a teenager until 20 years later, it's like I've been pulling my head out of water for 20 years in slow motion. Like it just continues to get more and more clear and spacious and positive and filled with so much potential that it's almost uh, and so much love and just gratitude that it almost it doesn't seem real. Sometimes it's so abundant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel all of that. Thank you for that explanation. And I love too that, you know, going into the science behind it, how all of this research is starting to back up what has been taught for thousands of years. And now we can really see why this is working, which is great for people who are, have this, you know, really intense logical side of their brain. Um, and a lot of times those people tend to have anxiety and all of these things that, that meditation is so great for. So it's, it's amazing that we can kind of connect the intuitive to, to the logical in that way. So thanks for that explanation. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I would say that I am a hundred percent, like just I'm Mr. Logical way of thinking. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I had to learn to uh, connect you know, the, the, my emotional part of my, my mind over the years, uh, I was always completely math minded. Uh, and you know, I still am, but now I've grown that other side of myself and now those two things can connect, but, uh, I am overwhelmingly a, a logical person still. So yes, to what you said it has been very helpful to me to, to not soften that up, but have my intuition be served by my intellect in my logic as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I I was an engineer and I mean I'm still that's still in my heart, my soul, mm -hmm. who I am, you know what I mean? So when I first started learning about mindfulness, it was interesting for me to go into like, oh, let's read some like peer reviewed research articles about this and Yeah. It's yeah, the, I mean, the science behind it is o overwhelming that it's incredible for you and it can do, it can make massive shifts not only in your emotions, but also in your relationships in your and in your physical health as well. 100%. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of friends tell me like over the years, like I th it seems like you're aging backwards or something. You look younger now than you did when you were in your 20s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's true, you know, stress and just the, the carrying the weight of all that stuff is really hard on you, you know, and then the more aware, self-aware you come, you know, that, that maps on to every part of your life. I mean, as you become more aware of yourself, then you become more aware of what you're eating, about how you're treating yourself, about exercise, about, you know, not you know, drinking six beers a night or something like that, you, you really become more conscious or aware of, of all of that. And it, yeah, it, it adds up huge. Yeah. And you go into that in your book too, talking about, you know, 
it's true as we become more self-aware, we can say, oh, wait, I maybe need to take a nap or <laughs> right. I should eat a little better because when I feel better, I'm, I emotionally feel better and all of these things work out better and I'm less cranky. Um, so you kind of started having this, what, did the internal shift come first? And then you were like, actually, I want to start taking care of myself in these physical ways as well. How, how did that work for you? And how, how does that play into your life now? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that given that we were just talking about being super logical minded is that like, I even, when I first really got into, I mean, the first half of my experience with Eastern thought and these practices, I was also at the same time, you know, researching like everything I could at, at you know, philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, uh, even linguistics, semantics, just everything that was under the umbrella of consciousness. And I, in a lot of ways, looked at Zen and Buddhism and what have you as an intellectual pursuit, because there's a lot of schools, of course, all that stuff's been westernized. People in the mainstream don't tend to really know it. But one, like, something like Zoshin Buddhism is really, really far out and abstract. And like, it's all, it's very psychedelic and, and bizarre. People tend to think of it, it's not a Hallmark card. It's like really far out there. And then also Zen Buddhism, there are many, you know, aspects of that and uh, schools of thought around that that are very, very stringent and very, I would say, analytical and cold and uh, almost like medical, you know, in their approach to uh, the mind. And that is a lot of what resonated with me in the beginning because I thought, oh, great, this is, this, this is just like the, the another way to be even more detached and more clinical in my approach to life while being very present and aware and crystal clear in the way that I was seeing things. So I thought um, I was able to kind of further my detachment and my depersonalization in some way by using these more stringent and aggressive and less forgiving forms of Eastern thought and Eastern practice. Um, it was through going through that a bit. And then ultimately that in the combination with, um, you know, having a, a relationship that I cared greatly about, uh, I began seeing how, okay, hold on a second. Maybe, this isn't all a mind, a mind thing. And I, I went into this period that um, I talk about in the book a little bit, which is called existential, I call existential paralysis, where I became so in, got so in my head that I was just weighed down by this very intense intellectual uh, existential data all the time. Like I would walk out my door in the morning and think about every, I would, you know, op look first look outside. It was like, okay, there's like millions of blades of grass in my eyesight. There's like microbes in the soil. There's water moving up inside of every tree. There's like all these other houses over there. And each of those have like people in there who have organs in their bodies and like blood moving through their bloodstream. And they're all thinking about all these different things. And then they're, they have this whole internal narrative, this story, like in the camera of their mind that they're living. And then they're all individually going to go get into their car and like go to work. And while that's happening, there's also like, Oh, this self-organized school of birds flies by based upon like wind patterns and the position of the sun. And like, you know, it's like just, it was so over the top with how I was like, I got into this space of like um, I, a, a great teacher of mine told me it's always important to open the heart before you open the mind. And of course, being a little narcissistic, uh, teenager you know i thought oh well uh surely i don't need to do that you know <laughs> like it's this is a head game not a hard game um and that's why it's like because with a great awareness or with an awareness that uh that rich you need compassion to be it for yourself and for those in which you're engaging with and uh so it was really suffering greatly from that and also you know having an important relationship with the those two things kept me tethered to the heart mind and somewhat. And I, I recognized through the pain and suffering of those experiences, the not only just importance, but the it's a crucial necessity to balance the heart mind and the, you know, the spirit or source or soul or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
Wow. I can relate to all that. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny hearing you describe all the, everything that's going on. Yeah. It's, I mean, when you start to think about it, it's wild. Life it is, is weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really is. And also that's why I wrote the book. So this is the funny thing. You just totally like nailed a really important element because I thought all of these things, like just some of, of course, that's just a, a very tiny percentage of what, you know, my experience has been. I thought all of those things were just me. I thought those are things that I went through. Mm, and yeah. so growing up, I was like, okay, this is just, I'm just weird. And this is like some far out things I, I have to deal with and whatever. And then as I, after I started my podcast and I began sharing these little anecdotes and stories of things I had thought or experienced and, and how I got through them. That was whenever the listeners of the podcast started emailing me and sending me messages and saying like, Oh my God, I'm, I went through that or I, I'm going through that now. Um, in particular, the existential paralysis one, I had like a bazillion people hit me up and they're like, I'm stuck in that. Or like, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it made me realize that these weren't me experiences, you know, that these are universal human experiences and, the way that people suffer from them a lot of times they're suffering from those ailments without even realizing that they're ailments in the first place because they don't have the language or the the formations of thought or whatever to begin to pinpoint and understand what it is that they're suffering from mm -hmm. and so that was one of the things that inspired me to write the book that i did it was like okay here is the map of how i went from being someone who was in a lot of suffering who was very unhappy and, and critical and negative to being someone who is completely different and really, you know, forming this chrysalis and hatching out of that into something else uh, and turning it all around. That's like, and I want to share that map with other people so that they can apply it to their own experience and cut down the time it takes for them to have to live in that suffering state. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what, what a freaking honor to be able to, share your own experience and have people come and say, Hey, me too. And what you're saying is helping me. And then, you know, being able to write a book and have a podcast. And it seems that that is also something that can come about the more self-aware we become, the more we connect to what we have here inside of us to offer and how to connect and how to have that, that radical honesty with, with who we are and, um, embracing change, all of these things. And it just, we realized how we can have our own sense of fulfillment through that connection that we're forming with others that, you know, our emotions become and our experiences become a way to reach out into the world versus how they once kept us secluded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as it is a great, honor and, and i'm just I, I feel like i'm out i was out of words you know whenever the amount of uh just people and, and messages and, and amazing people that i get you know that hit me up on a daily basis like i feel like i need to come up with new ways to say i'm grateful for you like i am saying thank you like i say thank you like you know 50 times a day and that's yeah. like what a what a what grace that is right like what what incredible gratitude i have to even be in a position where i'm trying to think of how to say thank you differently so i don't like sound stale or something yeah um, and because i i feel like i continue to just learn um someone asked me this recently and you know who are my big teachers or inspirations currently and uh, i intentionally as i uh, started my podcast i i stopped listening to people who inspired me and i stopped reading books by, you know, in, in this field gen generally, um, there's the exception here or there. Uh, but it's only because I wanted to make sure that as I began to talk about these things, I had my own identity and thought, okay, well, what do I really think about X, Y, and Z? Not like what, and not kind of combining something that Alan Watts and Chogum Trungpa and Thich Nhat Hanh said, like, let's, let's really feel like, what, what do I think? What is the way I think for it is? And, um, so I don't have those type of active like teachers or guides that I learn from now. Now, and it can sound a little corny on the surface, but now I feel like my teachers are every person I interact with. Mm -hmm. Because if you're open enough and you're able to observe and really hear where someone's coming from and what they're saying, 
like given that we have all lived these different paths you know and we all have something else to share because we have different experiences and perspectives you can truly learn everything you need to know from everyone that you talk to yeah that i mean that's so true there there is such a wealth of information out there but also too through our own experiences and through those connections we're forming through feedback you know all of that through that self-awareness all of our needs are different all of our wants are different and if we're continuously checking in with ourselves we also have so much wisdom just embedded in us and I love that you you know have started kind of is that something you feel like you do is just like checking in with yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yourself guide your own life. And I, the actually, okay, this brings me to an, another question. So I am um, reading through the book. You have so many great words, but one thing that um, you have kind of like quotes here and there that you've, you've pulled and then you, um, go into them more deeply. Right. And I, I picked out some of my favorite ones and I have like one or two that I'd, um, I'd love for you to kind of go into. And one of them that we, um, we've kind of touched on here is that you say any change that you want to make in your life is possible and right at your fingertips. Yeah. I love that. So I was wondering yeah. if you could talk about that a little more. Sure. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, yeah, you know, we we can, it's so easy and most of us are born, as I, I touched on a little bit earlier, like our society, given that we live in a, you know, most of us live in a, a celebrity, uh, entertain, you know, USA is is a place of, of, you know, social freedom in a lot of ways, but it's also, I think the most famous thing that we're famous for is creating fame. This is like we're like America makes things famous. And um, because of that, it makes everyone feel like they need to be something else and something more. And, you know, the materialistic aspect of our society uh, defining value of the individual by stuff or by their house or car or whatever it is, it just makes people you know, we're born into the situation where we feel like just being normal is failing. And so the instinct that we, we can't change and that we're just like, okay, well, I'm nobody, you know, in quotes, and I can't do, any, do anything. I'd say, well, well, first, I'd say you are nobody, but I mean that in a different way. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, is that you can you can do like how do you think like all of the great people all of the people who you do admire like how did they get there well they stopped and realized that they had the power to start walking that path to start creating the change and becoming the thing that they want to be and that's capable for all of us all you have to do is is have that that instinct to recognize like okay I, I can change and here's how I want to change. Here's how, like, what would the ideal, something in the book I go into is like, what would the person that you wish you could be, what would they look like? Like, how would you walk? How would you talk? Who would your friends be? Like, how would you show up in the world? It's like, okay, well, kind of define a few features of that and then start working towards those things. And they're not going to come overnight, nor should they. Cause that means you could lose it overnight as well. But if you realize like, well, that person seems a lot nicer and a lot more just comfortable in their skin. Okay, cool. Well, you can do, you can be that person too. So start as you go through your day, every time you feel an impulse to say something shitty, don't do it. Just <laughs> let, let it move on. Be just say, you know, just let, cause you're not losing anything by not doing that other than maybe a very, like a fast food way of feeling a, an illusion of comfort in your ego for a split second. You know, that's why someone says something negative or judgmental or critical at all is because they feel uncomfortable and they're trying to make other people, you know, feel smaller so that they'll feel larger or bond with someone else over like uh, criticizing something or someone else so that they feel inclusive and they've created an other that's, you know, metaphorically or symbolically being cast out of the tribe by your, 
your criticism, but it's all, it's all bull, you know, it's all nonsense. It's all worthless, right? Because what it does is it keeps you in the suffering state. So in your day, you can allow those things to pass on. And of course you'll mess up and something will slip out. That's a part of human nature, but just recognize it, learn from it and keep on moving. And then also, you know, then you want to be comfortable in your skin. Okay, cool. We'll try meditating five minutes every morning or five minutes before you go to bed every night. And as you keep taking that single step every single day, you'll wake up, you know, three months later and you'll be like, wow, I think I'm a different person now. I feel, and it's not like, you know, delete, erase, reboot, but you're like, I feel a bit more like what I wanted to feel like now because you've put in the work and you've guided your ship in that direction. You know, we're like, it's like a cruise ship. Like it can't take a 90 degree turn, but if you turn one degrees or two degrees over a period of time, you're going to take that same 90 degree turn. And that's what we're doing here. And so any of us can change and become what we aspire. We literally can become what we can imagine. It's just about identifying, recognizing the things about yourself that you'd like to evolve and then sticking to the consistency in that. And, you know, one of the little funny uh, ironies or secrets, I suppose you could say, is that like you, and it was a, a revelation for me is that, that I had was like in three months, that three months where you could be different, like you're going to wake up and three months will have gone by anyway. And so would you rather put in a little tiny bit of effort every day and then when that next three months rolls around, you're feeling a lot closer to who you want to be as a person? Or would you want to just keep on doing the same thing, waking up year after year, being the same person? And so we can all literally think our way into a new reality, into the path that we want. It's just a matter of realizing it and then actually doing it. Yeah, so true. So true. I'd rather pick that first one, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to ask you about 50 more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that is a very empowering message to kind of uh wrap this up and thankfully you have a podcast the astral hustles so people can go and find you and listen to your conversations with um some really incredible people and hear more of your story they can read the book now is the way which will be out when this episode is released so if you're listening the book is now out. <laughs> so where, where can people find the book? Yeah, if they, they can find it, of course, any of the usual online places, their local bookstore, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's on, of course, on Audible. I read the audiobook as well. Um, so you can find it anywhere. If you go to nowistheway.com, that's where all of those, you know, the links to any possible way that you'd want to, to check it out, uh, it's there for you. Great. Well, I'll have links down below in the show notes for all of that for everyone listening. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This was a really awesome conversation. So informative. Um, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I had a great time talking with you. Yeah. Well, everyone listening in, go check out Corey, check out his book, check out his podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in.